0: Hello and welcome to another episode of Adventures in .net. I'm Sean Claver, your host, and with me today are your two co-hosts. We got Whylu. Sean, Go hey, Don. Why? Good, good. I say in the states here we've got a three-day weekend, so I can't say the same for you.
1: No, no weekend for us. <laughs> We're in lockdown anyway. <laughs> <Look>. Nothing, <laughs> nothing to do. So. Yeah,
0: yeah. It's like every weekend, weekends and weekdays are kind of all the same when you're staying at home. You know, you're not going out anywhere, so it's like it's just another day
2: much, yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> and our other co-host, Caleb Wells,
2: straight hey, from nice. where are you at today, Caleb? I'm in Jackson, Mississippi. Ah. Uh, because of Hurricane Ida.
0: Yeah, it yeah. didn't look too good. So New Orleans is like no power for a couple yeah. weeks, or even longer, maybe.
2: It depends on the area, but it looks like it's been a week now. Because it, well, we've been gone for a week. It hit on Sunday. They they think we're going to get power back. In our neighborhood, middle of next week. So we got our fingers crossed. We'll see. But yeah, we're 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 up here working at my parents' dining room table. <laughs> 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 you do what you got to do, right?
0: You got to do so. what you got to do. Yep. Totally. All right. Let's welcome our guest, Ron Dagdag. Hey, Ron. Hey, how's it going? Good. Good. How are you? I am doing fine. I'm doing great today. Great. Good. Why don't you start us off just telling us a little bit about yourself, you know, kind of how, what you do and where you work and kind of how you got into .NET?
3: Yeah. I'm Ron Dagdag. I currently work at Spacey as a lead developer, doing a lot of augmented reality, computer vision, machine learning, internet things, doing a lot of Azure cloud and AI edge stuff. I've been I've started as
0: a .NET developer. I started back in 2005 .NET Framework 2.0. Oh, that's good. You didn't have to deal <laughs> with 1.0 and 1.1. Yeah, uh, no master pages. No master that's, pages. That sucked. <laughs> Uh, nice. So you started in 2005 and then you just kind of stayed with it for the past 15, 16 years? Yeah, I've
3: been the developer. You know, I was doing a C++ development before I moved to .NET. But of course, back in high school, I, I was born in the Philippines. I started programming back in, what, like back in high school, I was started with GW Basic. And uh, yeah, I remember going through trying to learn programming back then. It's a small town where we live. So it's, it, you know, we would rent computers to, to learn about programming, kind of stuff. And then I went to university and uh, learned computer science back there in the Philippines. And I started as a web developer, doing also desktop development. I remember back in 2000 taking some neural network course 20 years ago and thinking, this is too slow and not going to be useful. <laughs> And guess what? I guess we're using it all today. And of course, you know, then I got into C Sharp and been a .NET developer since then. That was the beginning of
0: the machine learning and everything for you, huh?
3: Well, it's more of desktop development. And then, of course, lately, that's when we started talking about Internet of Things and AI Edge. And then, of course, you know, there's AI right there and do computer vision. And that relates to a lot of machine learning and AI.
4: When I went freelance, I was still only a few years into my development career. My first contract, I was paid 60 bucks an hour. Due to feedback from my friends, I raised it to 120 bucks an hour on the next contract. And due to the podcasts I was involved in and the screencasts I had made in the past, I started getting calls from people I'd never even heard of who wanted me to do development work for them because I had done that kind of work or talked about or demonstrated that kind of work in the videos and podcasts that I was making. Within a year, I was able to more than double my freelancing rates, and I had more work than I could handle. If you're thinking about freelancing or have a profitable but not busy or fulfilling freelance practice, let me show you how to do it in my Dev Heroes Accelerator. Dev Heroes aren't just people who devs admire. They're also people who deliver for clients who know, like, and trust them. Let me help you double your income and fill your slowdowns. You can learn more at devheroesaccelerator.com.
0: Okay, so I think our subject today, I think we're going to start off with uh, Jupyter Notebooks. Why don't you give us the the, uh, the intro to what Jupyter Notebooks is, are, and how how we use them. Okay,
3: well, let me tell you like a backstory why I got interested in Jupyter Notebooks. Because I've been, like I said, I've been a .NET developer. And actually, my wife is also a .NET developer. She's been a .NET developer since two thousand. Three, it's, you know, she was using .NET 1.1, and then you know we're both .NET developers. I work as a, I do, I work for a startup, and then my wife works for like a large enterprise application development. And so we're like, we felt like we're doing the the application development thing, and then started to learn about, you know, started to hear about these Jupyter and data science, and of course, you know, all these uh, data science stuff. So we felt like what. There's something that we can do to to learn that. And as a .NET developer, it's kind of hard to switch from doing Python and, and uh, learning .NET at the same time. So I st- I started to research a little bit. And what it came about is looking at this Jupyter, uh, Pro- Project Jupyter. And Project Jupyter has been open source since 2015. And it really is to create and share documents that contain any live code or equations visualization—it's more of a interactive data science and computing. Uh, so that's that's how got that got me interested because it's, it's a totally different world that I'm so used to as as we as part of the uh, .NET developers and able to to understand that hey there's another world out there called Jupiter. Yeah it's a, it's a planet right? Yeah it is a planet. <laughs> <laughs> so that's that Project Jupiter actually where it got its name its name from is actually a combination of Julia, Python and R and which are the first kernel that is available on Project Jupiter and you will hear about it used to be called iPython notebooks and lately whenever you work with Project Jupiter. You talk about Jupyter notebooks and Jupyter Lab and those kind of things. So
0: Jupiter is spelled with a Y.
2: Yeah, Jupiter because, is spelled with a Y because of Python. Yeah, okay. Yes, that makes it. What languages are you currently using for Jupiter or with Jupiter? So
3: I found out that something came out from the .NET team, right? It's called .NET Interactive, and .NET Interactive allows us to to be able to add C Sharp to Jupyter and also Visual Studio Code. So Visual Studio Code has a way to open Python notebooks or Jupyter notebooks and be able to run these, uh, you know, C-Sharp program instead of Python. So I'm using .NET, C-Sharp, inside Jupyter.
1: So what is the use case for but you, like Jupyter notebooks? Are you basically writing your code in there and then, and then just running it? Or?
3: Well, the main use case for it is Sharing code in terms of, you know, especially I, I'm a Microsoft MVP and I do a lot of demos, right? I do a lot of presentation mm-hmm. and it's just easy enough for someone that does not have a background on C-sharp or something that I want to do to share your demo and be able to kind of walk through with instructions and then the, the code and then the, the output of that code all in one document. So it's a way to be able to share code and also a way to explore data. To visualize your data. So let's say I'm loading a, a CSV file in C sharp, I can visualize that data and be able to showcase in a graph, for example.
1: So it, so it allows it, uh, So is it basically like a tiny little program, like a console application that you can you can basically visualize?
3: It actually runs in the browser. Yeah. So so actually the easiest way to get into it is actually if you go to the Jupyter notebooks or uh, to.NET Interactive, it's on GitHub. And there's a way to be able to spin up a an instance of it without installing anything in your machine. And it would uh, create an instance and then you can start testing out C sharp code and you know, be able to, to see it and to to be able to, to interact with that data. So usually whenever you write a Jupyter notebook, you can have what you call these the you know your text or your description. And then you have your code, and then the output of your code, ha- ha- all in the same document.
1: How's it able to run in the browser? Like, is it is it like backend
3: somewhere? Or yeah, there is a running? backend somewhere that that runs and and serves Jupyter. But in order to access it, you access it on browser.
2: Oh, okay, yeah. So
3: it's just okay, so easy so enough to. It,
2: it's not using WebAssembly or Mono or anything like like Blazor does. So how yeah. is it transferring the data or compiling it for the web? So there is a Here's.
3: there is a kernel in the back end in the in the server that runs your code, so it sends back and forth. Yeah,
2: okay. All right. So it, is that similar to server-side blazer? something like signal R is their own their their own technology that they have talking back and forth.
3: It's kind of like, it's, it's a different experience than the usual okay. way you write code. That's the reason why. I got excited for it. It's totally yeah. so different from the the way we would we would create or we would we would write code. But this is geared towards data exploration. It's geared towards being able to test snippets. And actually, there is a PowerShell also. So it's not just limited to C Sharp, F Sharp. Imagine PowerShell commands and usual the usual problems with running PowerShell is that you don't capture the output. And if you want to share that information. To your teammate, you typically you do a screenshot, you copy and paste it and be able to showcase and explain what's going on with that script. This one allows you to capture the output and also allows the, the your teammate, before he runs it, he kind of expects what it's going to look like and he can run the, run the code. It that be that's like? pretty useful. Yeah. So here's an example of what, what it kind of looked like. We don't, do you. we don't do video.
1: Yeah. So yeah, we don't. Our view is my best answer. So,
3: so, and maybe we can describe it a little bit more to our audience, and that's the reason why we might want to look into, you know, where you have your code, and then, and then also it supports, it also supports like Markdown. So you have your Markdown, and then based from your Markdown, you can put comments, instructions, how to run it, and then you have the code, and then the output of that code. So when you run it, it's kind of like you run it line by line, line by line. Right, it's kind of like it's like a REPL, but the output goes back together with your code. It's
0: a captured REPL. So this seems like it would be very similar to like having OneNote, where you can mm-hmm. actually put code in it and have it run.
3: Yes, yes. It's See how it's different. It's, it feels like a different world from the usual way we do programming, right? In in .NET and in, in C Sharp and also F Sharp. But especially when you're testing new ways and or you're trying to explain. Something to explain the new you know, how how you would write this code. This would be a good example, or a good way of of explaining it to someone. And also, not just that, it's it allows you to have plots, math, you know, be able to to display it, the
0: math formulas and those kind of things too. So that you can have a little more rich output than just like a console.
3: Yes, yes. So it's it's self-documenting code in a way, right? You're, you're not self-documenting. You're documenting. Instructions and how you would run this code, especially when for a beginner, if, imagine if you're a PowerShell, right? PowerShell, com- all your PowerShell commands, you're you're running it and giving you kind of examples line by line of how you would manage your Azure connection, how you would connect to the, the script, you know, to to which subscription you're connecting to, what resource group, all the all your commands in order to to spin up, let, let's say an Azure VM. And it kind of gives an explanation and the output based on that.
1: Cool. And is this so? Is this supported by by GitHub? Like, can you basically put this code on on GitHub and then and then
3: like yes. point you to can, it? Yeah, you can actually save it as a Python notebook, and and then it would just you can you can even have Visual Studio Code. You can even open this Python notebook in Visual Studio Code. And it would automatically installs everything that it needs. If it needs .NET Interactive, it automatically installs that. So let's say you, know, you found a Python notebook that has a .NET kernel at the back end or PowerShell kernel at the back end, then you can actually uh, open that in Visual Studio Code, and then it would download all, everything that it needs, as long as you have the .NET Interactive add-in. The, the .NET Interactive, it will prompt you to, to download the .NET Interactive add-in and then it would be able to display properly and then you can interact with that code.
1: So if you were to basically run this from a, from a website, would, would there be a service that would have the backend for you? Or would you still have to kind of host it to the backend, to the backend so, that runs a little bit, the .NET code?
3: Yeah. So yeah, it, it, on, in Visual Studio Code, it becomes your backend, right? You don't have to install any server because it's running locally in your machine. But if you want yeah. it in the browser like this, right, Jupyter yeah. Notebook, then you have to have a Jupyter server or Jupyter Lab running in order to to do this.
1: Okay, so I'm just wondering if there's a like if you had it if you put on like a gist in in GitHub or something like that, would would there be a service that you can just automatically have it so you can just host it on a website?
3: Yes, there's actually I'm trying to bind. It's called Binder. That act, you know, like if you go to .net interactive and go to where you can just launch binder. so yeah. there's a button on here. It would open up a it would spin up a docker docker container for you on the fly and then it would and, and then that's how I'm running this this demo. That's how I'm running my demos. And so that let's say uh, since it has its own environment, everything else that it needs is already there. Mm. And it installs everything that it needs in order to host it. So there's the user doesn't have to install anything on their machine and it just runs on on this binder.
0: Does it support things like NuGet packages and things like that that you can add in there?
3: Yes, there is. You can actually there's just one line of code in order to do NuGet packages. There is a way you can specify it up front where it's percent r, yeah, this one. number sign r, the hashtag r, I guess that and then you specify the NuGet package and the version number and it would knows it knows how to download that package. And then you, then yeah, and then you can can have interaction with that there. One of the new features that I saw and I I thought I was got interested in it and is that anyone heard of uh, Sand? It's called Sand Sand Dance, Microsoft Sand Dance, which is which is an extension. You can it's a way to visualize code, and I think it's it's interesting how it can kind of visualize create graphs for you. So based from your data and be able to do that. So in, you can create a notebook like this and be able to 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 create a graph. You can create stacks, a tree map, those kind of things. So it depends on how you want to visualize your data, even if you're just looking at the CSV file or your connection to a database.
0: So it has charting built into it that you can
3: just
0: yeah. feed it some data and it'll give you a chart? Yes. And All right. It'll give you a chart. So can, what's can... yeah? What's the main use case? Is it just like an interactive wiki and documentation, or is there other use cases that it's meant for?
2: Well, I was I like... actually Ron. I, that was a suggestion I was going to make, and I don't know if you've done this within your company, but I know in my company we use Confluence a lot, right? And it means we have C sharp snippets or PowerShell in the Confluence, right? You have to, you're mm-hmm. going to have to copy them out, put them in the right console, the right environment to run them properly. Yes. You could do all this inside of Jupyter without having to leave the instructions. Yes.
3: You can yeah the easiest way for us is I have a Python notebook and I can just have that in
2: uh,
3: in our repository, right? And then whoever wants to use it can check it out, get it on their their browser. Uh, Getting in Visual Studio Code and then run it. There's no install once you have .NET Interactive installed in Visual Studio Code, and then you should be good to go.
2: You mentioned being able to spin up Docker container with Binder. Can you do Docker inside of a Jupyter Notebook? Yeah, like you have the code to build up to spin, uh, build a Docker container, like for a new developer, right? And they don't know anything about our system. We point them to the instructions. And they can all run it from there. Is that possible?
3: Yeah. So there's instructions on in how you would do that. Actually, they did a good job. .Net Interactive team did a good job of documenting things that you can do with this. And you can create. You can actually have it inside a Docker container. There's a Docker file, the example that that there that installs you know everything that it needs. .Net it installs Jupyter. Actually, one of the presentations I did was to even install it into a raspberry pi okay and on that raspberry pi i i dockerized everything and, and i was able to interact with the sensors on the raspberry pi and read it using dot iot and read sensor data and then based from that sensor data i was able to visualize that sensor data and create a mini dashboard and it's part of like a tutorial and you know step by step and what i did and i think that's it's, it's like like I said it, for me it's like a different world from what the, you know the dotnet developers are so used to right the creating applications and this is more of data exploration and being able to to kind of interact with that data gra- you know create graphs, create visualizations against that data without really creating a new application but it's more of a document. And instructions.
2: So, dotnet interactive is maintained by Microsoft, right?
3: Yes, it is actually on GitHub open source. Okay. All
2: right. Yeah. How long is this the how long have they been working on this? I, I know they yeah. released it last year in
3: 2020 okay. when they did okay. a preview back in 2019. But there's a lot of, you know, it's not just limited to C sharp, there's F sharp and like PowerShell, but I believe they're right. also uh, looking, you know, you can actually do JavaScript and HTML on that on that Python notebook. And, and also it has Azure Data Studio. Azure Data Studio also has that capability to run PowerShell scripts too.
4: Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood and I just wanted to jump in here and let you know about something that I'm doing. It's free. It's out there just to help you get answers to your questions about the things that you're running into with your career. So if you have questions about how to get further ahead in your career, how to start a podcast, how to get a better job, how to get a raise, how to deal with a situation at work with your boss, or just maybe you're stuck and you don't know where to go next. You know, how do I get from junior to senior, senior to whatever's next? How do I become a speaker? How do I get to the next level? That's what I'm out here to do. So every Wednesday at 12 o'clock mountain time, I'm going to be doing a call, and it's going to be free, totally free. Go to devchat.tv slash level up, and you can register for the call. It's using Zoom's webinar software, so it's pretty straightforward. And what we're going to be doing is I'll do 10 minutes, and I'll just show you how I do some form of how I level up, and then we'll just answer questions. And it's not going to be a question and answer like, hey, what's your favorite flavor of ice cream, and then I say, rocky road or whatever, right? Instead, what we're looking for is more along the lines of, yeah, I have the situation. How do I handle it? I'm trying to figure this thing out. How do I figure it out? I'm trying to stay current. How do I stay current? And if you have any of those kinds of questions, I'll bring you on the call. We'll ask some deeper questions. We'll make sure we get you a solid answer. And I'm really looking forward to helping some people out. There will be no sales, no selling, no nothing on these calls. It is literally just 10 minutes of training and then Q&A. So you can go check it out at devchat.tv slash level up. Yeah, I can see this as a
1: pretty good use case for me because I basically, like I'm pretty prolific in, in terms of documenting everything I learned just for while I'm coding. And I've just got everything stuck in a, in a OneNote. But um, yeah, I can see myself like referencing uh, snippets of code that i can run and i can describe it as well so yeah this is this is quite useful
3: yeah and so i think w- one of the the usefulness that i see especially in the powershell world the commands that you run and documenting those commands right is i mean is the problem with, for C- oh,
1: yeah the problem for me with the the powershell stuff is a lot of stuff i turn the powershell stuff is um i do it like like that infrastructure sort of things like you wouldn't be able to really Run it about the context of all the infrastructure, but I guess if I was writing PowerShell things for like you know spinning up Azure resources and things like that, and things that I could clean up after the notebooks finished, then then that would work.
3: Yeah, just because it, you're on the exploration stage, right? You're building your infrastructure, mm. you're building those instructions, and then once you're ready, and then then you can you can automate. So this would be a good back and forth understanding where it's at. What steps you've done, and, and it's kind of allows you to document the output also with whichever errors. But on the .NET, I think it's on the .NET side or C sharp, especially if there's new things that you just want to try on the language itself. Instead of creating a console app, this is the quickest way that you can start mm. experimenting the, or a new library that you just wanted to 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 try out. That's
2: a good way. Yeah, this actually makes me think of like some of the companies that do video training, and some of them you have the interactive section where you have, mm. here's what you do on the left, do it on the right, it runs it and verifies you did it correctly. You think Jupyter Notebooks without that Interactive would be a good tool for that without having to build your own, right? Because yeah. I think that's what a lot of these companies have done.
3: It's actually helping me learn ML.NET because okay. a lot of it is more being able to Create an experiment, right? Uh, so I'm, you know, be able to, to go step by step, especially if you're, you're trying to understand what the other, the data scientists have done. If they're using, if they're familiar with net, a lot of the data scientists uses Python. So a lot of examples are, are actually in Python notebook and you'll see that in a lot of places there. You can run it locally in your machine or it actually connects to, uh, to the Azure machine learning. Studio, uh, Azure Machine Learning, and so we'd be able to interact with that. Especially if you're calling the APIs and submitting batches of work to that, there's a there's a way you can do that here.
0: I could see this being useful for like conferences and workshops and things like that. So that the the people that are trying to work and learn it I don't have to sit there and type all the stuff in. It can be just you know shows them step by step and they can copy and paste or they can run it right there. I think that would be a good thing.
3: Yeah, and also because of rich media, right? So you can actually create links, you can you know add photos, you know something that would you can create plots, you know because markdown you can add markdown plus the code, right? So there's a lot of capabilities you know, to be able to to kind of step by step understand what's going on and have some explanation. Yes.
1: Even some of the like the microsoft learn documentation like for you I find myself a lot of times just like having to just have two screens paste paste in what what they've set up to run and then run on a second screen so they could they could easily make that experience better by using these these notebooks just embedding it into the into the website so I
0: agree is there any uh limitations to it things that you can't do things that you can't do I mean you I can't, mean, can't really write a full blown multi-page application and right, whatever.
3: Yeah, it's not really targeting creating application, but it's more of document, right? That's why it's like a notebook, right? It's scratch paper where you experiment and be able to
2: explore. A question though, and and this, Sean, like this, Sean loves LinkPad, right? Is this something that you could have like your your... Your link, or you could have some SQL script or whatever, and like you said, it's just it's a notepad, scratch, scratch pad, and actually run it within the Python notebook and have it return um, a value from from a database instead of using something like LinkPad.
3: Yeah, actually, uh, Azure Data Studio has a way you can create notebook and okay. you can actually run you know you PySpark commands python commands powershell and sql so if you want to document your sql commands and then get the results together in one document this you know notebooks are the way to go and you'll see that that it's not just limited like on data studio or not just limited on a visual studio code but actually it, it allows you to be able to have different kernels in the back end meaning you know it could be sp- it could be VS Code or Spark.NET. You can actually have it. There's actually the, the project for where you can have teams or bots and be able to go back and forth with Ju- Jupyter or the .NET Interactive as a, as a backend. And then each command would result back to however the, the code is running. That makes sense.
2: Yeah. I know that Sean, like you said, instead of having to spin up a console app and get your code set up, and then run it and see a result. He uses linkpad for for the same thing. He yeah. can do some simple a simple app with some simple calls and and get the result he expects. What do you think is the biggest hurdle to getting into Jupiter and learning it?
3: I think the a lot of people are not familiar with it, right? And I think having the having it easier to install it in Visual Studio Code makes it reduces that hurdle. If you have this Python notebook extension, it knows how to open it. It knows what it needs in order to, you know, if it has a C sharp kernel that it needs in the back end, it knows, hey, I need to install this, this and that. Then it, then you can, you can start interacting with, with that in Visual Studio Code. Uh, Jupyter, of course, if you, if you have Anaconda, there's also another way that you can, you can install there, there's a little bit of instructions in order to to get it running in Jupyter notebook, uh, in Jupyter lab. Uh, but other than that, once you get you get it installed, and it's it's easy enough. It, of course, like what I said, there's it's also containerized, so you can spin up a, an instance of it and start interacting and there without the installation.
0: So what else should we know? What what haven't we covered about Jupyter notebooks and .NET Interactive that we should know about?
3: Of course, it's open source, right? <laughs> so that, I think that's That's the interesting part that it's, it's being developed. There's a lot of things that I've noticed for the past. They, like I said, the, the sand dance integration is cool. You can do visualizations better that way. There is a different extensions. So if you want to do, to, to kind of connect it with SQL Server and, and explore, uh, you can, you can do that. There's also connection with interact. I've noticed that it's it continuously being developed. I kind of like the, you know, I I enjoy Internet of Things, and for me that was that was like a big win. If you can just interact with your hardware back and forth, and and learn, you know, let's say how you can you can LED turn turn it on and turn it off, those kind of things. And if you're if you're experimenting, that is really great. Rather than compiling the code, running it, and then, of course, there's an error. It's It becomes kind of like a REPL, right? Uh, be able to get the instant feedback. Hey, my code didn't work. What's wrong? What happened? Those kinds of things. And then I can just modify it, change the PIN number, how it would connect. I think that's that's a good use case, especially you're exploring and learning.
0: Do you know what, Do you know anything about the future of Jupyter Notebooks and .NET Interactive? Where's it I, going?
3: I've noticed that it's being, in a lot of the Microsoft products, they they started integrating a lot of these notebooks into to the different database different databases. So I know that there was one for Cosmos DB. That was uh, actually was a problem. I don't know if you heard of the news. I think it came out that there was a there was a bug on that Jupyter notebook in uh, in Cosmos DB, but it's already fixed and all that. I've noticed that doing uh PySpark. If you're doing a lot of the data science stuff, they started to integrate uh, notebooks into it too. And uh, Azure uh, Azure Machine Learning also has integration with notebooks.
1: And so Microsoft is more invested in it.
0: Any more questions?
1: I'm good.
3: It's cool stuff.
1: Got to go have a play around it. So.
3: Yeah, like I said, it's, it's so easy to to get it to get started on it. There are few there are instructions on the GitHub.NET interactive in how to get, get started, how to install it locally, if you want to install it locally. If you want to install it on Raspberry Pi, there's a way you can you can do that too. One thing I found out working on this project too is there is PowerShell in in Linux now. I I did not know that. You can actually run those your you know the if you're a PowerShell developer, you can actually run some PowerShell commands in Linux. And you can use this to test. I think a
1: lot of PowerShells is running. Donate Core cool in, in the background. Right? Okay. So if Core cool under Linux,
0: you can, yeah. So. Yes. Okay. Well, if that's it, I think uh, it's time to move on to PICs.
4: Hey folks, it's Charles Maxwood. And I just wanted to jump on real quick and let you know that I am putting together a podcasting course. I get asked all the time. I've been coaching people for the last six months. How do you start a podcast? How do you put it together? What do I need in order to get it going? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I've put together the curriculum. And I did it through coaching a whole bunch of people. And now I want to share it with you. You can go check out the course. It's actually going to be a masterclass. It's going to be a four-week masterclass where I actually walk you through the entire process of launching a terrific-sounding podcast and putting together content that people want to listen to. And you can find it at podcastbootcamp.io. What
0: do you guys think? Ready?
4: Yep. Cool, cool.
0: All right, Caleb, what's your pick?
4: Oh, oh, I get to go first. You can go first. Hey!
2: So... My pick actually goes right along with what I've been dealing with this past week with Hurricane Ida and no electricity, right? Um, Especially in New Orleans with the humidity, um, you don't want your inside of your house to turn into a swamp while you're gone, right? And um, so I actually went down a couple of days ago and made sure the house was, was good and there weren't any problems. But I put damp red, in every room of the house. And it's basically it's like that that silicate or whatever it sucks up whatever moisture is in the air. And so it it makes sure that you know you don't have that build up of the moisture and stuff while your AC isn't running. So there you go. damp it. Another you know um, thing where people hopefully have a in like a locker or something else, so that
1: then it doesn't yeah. get all smelly.
2: Yeah.
1: It works, yeah. yeah? Okay.
2: Well, we're, we're, we're going to find out. We, we got <laughs> we got some that sit on the ground. We got some that were hanging bags. And the hanging bags actually have like a section at the bottom where all the moisture gets funneled into. So these bags get full of water. So I guess we'll find out when we go back to the house in a few more days. <laughs> well, uh, th- this
0: is mainly just for humidity, right? It's not for actually
2: yes. water and, and- things like that, so. No, no, it's, uh, well, what I'm using it for is humidity. I think they have several use cases on their, their website, right. For like making things smell better. Or, um, if you've, say you've got a room that's got an issue and you don't have a dehumidifier, this may work in a pinch, but
0: yeah. All right, cool. All right. Why what you pick?
1: So my pick this is probably going to be Pretty much over by the time this goes to air, but um it's actually the the Paralympics. I've been watching a little bit of that lately. Um, yeah, I actually think it's actually more interesting than the than the real Olympics, or well, not the, the the normal what's the word? The the Olympics, the Take Olympics. Just um, the Olympics, um, just because, right? yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just because like it's 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 just really um awesome seeing all these athletes just kind of competing um, and. And, I, and I, the way they change the sport, I was watching like the way they play table tennis. Um, there's a guy who only uses his mouth, and there's like a blind soccer type thing. So yeah, it's it amazing
2: what they can do. Yeah. Some some yeah, yes, sure. it is. It's crazy. Yeah,
0: I caught a little bit of it. You know, I saw some guys playing uh, tennis in wheelchairs. It's like man, that's got to be <laughs> upper body workout just galore.
1: Oh, nice! And and like you know that if you even if if you were play against them, you, you probably wouldn't stand <laughs> a chance, even though oh yeah, general, okay. yeah. Like,
0: oh. And I I didn't catch the rule differences. It seemed like there might be a rule difference where it could bounce twice, so they're allowed two bounces before they have to hit it or something like yeah. that. Yeah, I could yeah. be wrong, but that's just what I saw by watching a few minutes. Mm. All right, so uh, my pick this week is a database, and it I. Found this when I was trying to, you know, write a little side project program about, you know, stock trading that I've been doing. So one of the brokers I have I use has an API. So I was like, okay, I can connect to the API, I can get data, but I need to store it, and I didn't want to, you know, have a full blown database. So I thought about like uh, SQLite or some other things, and it's like, well, let's see what what's out there. And I stumbled upon LightDB. And it's actually a .NET based database, and it's real simple. It's real lightweight. It's just a single package install, and then you just give it a location, put the file on your on your drive somewhere, and it just runs and does everything in there. And it's 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 pretty fast. It's easy. It's lightweight, and uh, so far it seems to be uh, running real well for just my little, you know, sample app for downloading stock data. So.
1: It like
0: it, SQLite? It's, it's very it very much, I think, like like SQLite. It's a sing, single data file, but, it, you know, it. it's also full asset transactions and portable and lots of different things. I've, I've gone all the way through it and doing things, but uh just for storing stuff and putting it in, it is a document-type database, so it's not relational. So since I was just stuffing in JSON, that worked well for me. So check it out if you have a... A need for a little, small, little database. All right, Ron, what's your pick?
3: Well, my pick is one
0: I've been, I've been
3: experimenting these days and learning about uh, Azure Percept Dev Kit. Azure Percept is especially for Internet of Things. Uh, it has a camera on it, and it also have a microphone, and a, and so you can actually use use it for AI at the edge. So, being able to deploy your machine learning uh, models into it and run it. Run that machine learning models at the edge, right, at, closer to to the user. At the end of the day, so this use case for it is more for monitoring, because you know, it has a camera. You can actually make it as a kind of like a smart assistant, also. And anyway, there's a lot of different use cases that I think it's, especially if you're a person wanted to just start learning Internet of Things, it's a, it's a good start to ramp up. About Internet of Things in Azure.
1: So it's like a piece of hardware you can buy, like yes. like, a, like a technical version of Google Home or something like that. Well, you yeah.
3: So you can you can buy it, and it it comes with the the camera. It comes with the you know the compute, and you can actually deploy containers, Docker containers, on that compute. And actually, I'm installing Node Red on it and experimenting, or Azure Functions. You can actually install. Azure functions running on that device, so it's you know you can have your own cloud at the end, your own serverless at the end. Mm.
0: All right, Ron. If our listeners have any questions and they want to reach out and, and and ask you something, how can they get in touch?
3: Best way to contact me is through Twitter at Ron Dagdag. Uh, LinkedIn also is the is a is a good way to contact me. You search
0: my name, Ron Dagdag. All right, sounds good. Well, thanks for coming on the show, Ron. If our listeners want to reach out to the show, we'd love to hear your feedback. They can find me on Twitter. I am at dotnet Superhero.
2: And I'm uh, Caleb Wells Coates. All right. That is that is my favorite part of every show. I don't know why. Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I'm, I'm so happy for you, Caleb.
2: Thank you. Thank you. I am too.
0: <laughs> All right, guys. We'll catch everybody on the next episode of AdventuresIn.net.
4: Bye, y'all. Bye. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.